the Space Force Wants You with special guest Matt Lohmeyer. Episode 39 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I am Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, everyone. And here we are, episode 39, and this is going to be an awesome episode. We're going to have on the very controversial former Lieutenant Colonel of the Space Force, Matt Lohmeyer. Cool dude. Very cool dude. Very smart. And I'm glad he decided to jump on the escalator going down the rabbit hole. And yes, we are the only podcast that has our own personal escalator down that rabbit hole yeah hopefully we run into him along the way you know on our journey down the escalator (laughs) yeah well there goes michelle again she just zipped down the the rail again i'm sliding down the handrail yep all right well welcome everybody we're gonna uh go ahead and talk a little bit about where you can find us so well first of all you can find us on youtube Search us out by typing in Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. It's all one word. Fortunately, once you type it in a few times, it'll show up for you. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Because there's no spaces. (laughs) So if you have a story you would like to tell, we would like to talk to you. You can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief summary of your experience and we will contact you to discuss things further and try to get you or your story on the podcast. And don't forget, if you want to rock some of that latest swag, head on over to the online store. So you can find that at miufopodcaststore.online. Just look to the show notes for that link. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page if you would like to support the podcast there. It is patreon.com forward slash M-I-U-F-O-S-P-E-P where you can sign up. We can't wait to give you a shout out for all of your support. Speaking of Patreon, we still need to give that shout out to our good friend and Patreon at us for supporting the podcast. And also... Yeah. We would like to give a shout out to Hava H for still being a supporter of the podcast. You know, this podcast exists because of help by people like you. And don't forget, share us out, people. If you don't want to join our Patreon and buy any swag or anything like that, just share us out. Share us with your friends, family, anybody to help grow the yeah. podcast. Tell your family and friends about us. Absolutely. Now, they might think you're a little crazy listening to a <laughs> podcast about UFOs and paranormal stuff but you know hey they might enjoy it guess what i'm drinking wayne you're drinking the same thing i'm drinking 
Yeah, coffee. It's late in the day. <laughs> We're still drinking coffee. Yeah, considering we've been up since about 4.30 this morning. Oh, that's every morning for me. Absolutely. So you can, if you want to help support the podcast, buy us a cup of coffee. Just head on over to www.buymeacoffee, all one word, dot com, forward slash M-I-U-F-O-P-O-D-C-A. Q, and we would love to be able to drink a cup of coffee and give you a shout out as well. Just remember that you can find all the links listed in our show notes at the end. Yep. And this is going to be the episode where I'm going to just put in one link and that's going to be to our link tree. You click on that and all of these links will show up in one place. Yeah, it's a teacher for you. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to crowd the show note things, and I know it's hard for people to read show notes on their phone because a lot of people listen to the podcast at work or while they're doing other things through their phone or while they're driving. So there's, you know, I understand when I listen to a podcast, I'm not checking the show notes on my phone. So there'll just be a link tree there and uh, you can find everything there. Are you getting hungry, Michelle? Yeah, a little bit. I think a tasty steak rice bowl sounds pretty good right now. How about you? I don't know. Might be some corned beef egg rolls. Corned beef egg rolls. Ooh, how about some homemade raspberry cheesecake? I don't know. That Snickers cheesecake was pretty tasty. Or that chicken Florentine soup. Why are we sitting here talking about food? Because it's our good friends over at New Boston Coney and Grill. New Boston Coney and Grill. Jump in the car. Let's go. Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well, then you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family. You will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! Hey, Michelle, I think it's that time. It's time for What's in the News. Yes. What is in the news? Big Country News, Prince Philip's UFO investigation could be released. Prince Philip's UFO investigation could be released following the death of Queen Elizabeth. The prince developed a fascination with aliens after a bricklayer reported a close encounter with extraterrestrial life at the home of Lord Lewis Mountbatten, Philip's late uncle. But until now, his investigative work into UFO sightings in the UK has remained under wraps. Philip, who died in April of 2021 at the age of 99, has been credited with creating a so-called Royal X-Files on the subject of space and alien life. And the royal family are now facing calls for the investigation to be made public. The Daily Star newspaper reports, the work previously remained a secret until the reign of the Queen. Well, you know, that goes back to the point where I don't think over there in the UK they take this very seriously. Now, there's a lot of people over there that take it seriously, but 
the media and the government officials over there are kind of like our media and government officials back about maybe 10 years ago where everything was an X-Files song or whatever just to discourage the public and make them seem idiotic. Well, Nick Pope, the ex-Ministry of Defense official who was in charge of the UK government's UFO desk between 91 and 94, claims that Philip and Sir Peter Horsley, his ex-RAF associate, spent years investigating alien sightings. He said, Philip kept an eye on developments, subscribed to UFO magazines and newsletters, and had witnesses interviewed. So there's that Phenomena magazine, because weren't they the biggest magazine over there? Yeah, and I wonder if uh, he was a listener of our podcast. Well, you never know. Mm-hmm. He also claimed Philip's interest in the subject was deliberately kept under wraps during the reign of the late monarch, as it would have caused a stir. Oh, so there you go. She uh, yeah, she it, didn't want anything to embarrass the throne, I'm sure. Well, anything, any attention that was drawn to Buckingham Palace was, I mean, completely taboo. Um, Nick told History TV, this is highly sensitive. Here you have the Queen's husband investigating UFOs. Had the news got out, it would have caused a sensation. Now, Lord Mountbatten, who was assassinated in August 1979. Good Lord. That would be interesting to look into. And Prince Philip are said to have talked extensively about the possibility of extraterrestrial life. And Richard Dolan, an expert on the UFO subject, is convinced that the late monarch was aware of the conversations between Philip and his uncle. He said, you have to assume Queen Elizabeth knew. Oh, of course. I'm sure as the monarch of the UK, she was privy to all that stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm sure that there's not a whole lot that happened that she didn't know about. Now, whether or not she was going to discuss it, that's a whole different story. Exactly. And being Americans, I personally, I don't know much about how the royal family fits into the whole government thing or if they're just figureheads i've heard it talked about in many different ways but you have to remember we were the rebels we broke away from that and wanted nothing to do with it and the only thing i really remember that caused a stir with the royal family was princess Di. yeah which we already know that situation don't want to i hate to say it dig that one up well but again it's like this weird paparazzi tabloid family kind of stuff when it comes to the royal family so i don't know i don't know much about it i'm sure our uk listeners will you know just like over here probably some fall on the side of yay the royals and then some on the other like no those people were useless and they stole money and everything else so i don't know that's their country they can figure it out. No, they're as much on TV over here as the Kardashians are. Well, you know, I don't watch much TV, so... I'm just talking about in the news. I mean, I've grown grown up my whole entire life with the the royals being on, you know, the, the news here, the news there. You know, who's moved out of the country, who's now living in Canada. I guess you I know, don't watch enough TV to really pick up on that oh my my parents i can still remember sitting in the living room watching the the wedding of princess diana well that was a big deal that wasn't she american wasn't that the big thing you know that was like 
an event in my household. And then it was the, the watching of everything after that and her life. Um, and then well, unfortunately she, her death. Yeah. And she so, did a lot for charity. I mean, yes, yes. She was very rooted in charities. Um, so that's what I'm talking about as far as a comparison. I mean, yeah. it's just different, you know, shifts in, I mean, the, the values that okay. were presented to, you know, a viewing audience. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, like I said, the only thing I recall is the marriage of Princess Di. And then when she unfortunately died, that's all I really remember of any of that stuff. And, you know, being a red-blooded American, we were the rebels. You know, the Revolutionary War, we were getting away from England. So I never really followed any of that. And, you know, being famous, you know, even if it's part of a, a royal family, you know, that that puts a target on you to be the center of attention in the media. So... Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that was a fear as to why none of that came out or any of the investigations. Oh, I'm sure. Especially back then, they probably would have been made fun of there. I mean, they already got ridiculed quite a bit. I mean, the tabloids loved them. I know. Now I'm intrigued to look into that 1979 assassination. Yeah, that's really strange. Of the uncle. That's, wow. Yep. All right, Michelle. I think we should bring on our next guest, and man, is this one uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. And so on this episode of the podcast, we're going to have Matt Lohmeyer come on, kind of a controversial dude, depending on what side of the aisle you're in, but he is much more than what people who are partisan may think about him. So I don't know, Michelle? You want to tell us a little bit about Matt? Well, Matt Lohmeyer is a public speaker, author of the best-selling book, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military, and founder of the Save America's Military PAC, the SAM PAC. He actively works with the veteran-led nonprofit group STARS to educate Americans about the dangers of racist and radical ideologies that are infiltrating our military. He is also host of The Matt Lohmeyer Show. His book, Irresistible Revolution, was published in May of 2021, at which time Matt was a respected active duty commander in the newly formed U.S. Space Force. For publishing and speaking about his book, then Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer was relieved of his command and subjected to an inspector general investigation launched from the Pentagon. He subsequently joined the nation's biggest media personalities to discuss proliferation of Marxist-rooted critical race theory, CRT, in the military and its divisive impact on the force and mission. Matt separated from active duty on September 1st of 2021 and is now a highly sought public speaker and consultant on matters of Marxist ideology and tactics, CRT, the betterment of military culture, and the preservation of our liberties. A 2006 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, Matt began his active duty military career as a pilot flying over 1,200 hours in the T-38 as an instructor pilot followed by flying the F-15C. After flying, he cross-trained into space operations and gained expertise in space-based missile warning. Matt promoted two years below the zone to lieutenant colonel, graduated at the the top of his classes, earning him the Distinguished Graduate Award at four different Air Force schools, 
and served as aide-de-camp for a four-star general for one year. In October of 2020, he transferred into the United States Space Force and was placed in command of a space-based missile warning squadron in Colorado. Matt has two master's degrees, a master's in military operational art and science, and a master of philosophy in military strategy from the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies, considered by many the Defense Department's premier strategy school. He lives with his wife and children in Idaho. Yeah, that's quite a background, and I think it's time for us to just go ahead and bring on Matt Lohmeyer. Yeah, time to get Matt on the show. All right, Matt, thanks for joining us tonight. It's great to have you on board. Yep, happy to be here. Well, I know you're taking a lot of time out of uh, your your busy day, and we want to try to just be as direct as we can with some of these questions and get you on and then let you go ahead and enjoy the night with your family. All right. All right. So let's go ahead and start out with, can you tell our audience a little bit of your background and what made you decide to join the Air Force and eventually become a leader in the Space Force? Sure. I have a problem with saying too much sometimes. And so uh, let me try and hit some of the highlights. I uh, didn't really have an ambition to join the military uh, in high school but um, was good at basketball, better at basketball than I was academically, I suppose, at that point. And so I um, was recruited to play basketball by various colleges and ended up taking a recruiting visit to the Air Force Academy. And while there, they really put on a good show for you. At least they did back in the day and uh, made me think it was really the most exciting place I could be. And uh, so I decided to go there it was while I was at the Air Force Academy that um, I decided I didn't actually want to go pre-med. I thought I'd instead uh, fly jets because I got an incentive flight in a T-38 at Edwards Air Force Base out in California where they do uh, test pilot missions on various platforms. And so I got this uh, exciting ride in a T-38 and decided that's the path I'd pursue. And I did. I graduated from the Air Force Academy. And went to pilot training at Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know if the statistic is still the same, but at the time I graduated from the Air Force Academy, about 50% of the graduates went on to fly, went on to pilot training somewhere. Uh, so you had probably your best shot out of any path to being an officer in our Air Force. Best shot at flying an aircraft was coming out as a graduate of the Air Force Academy. But I went to Vance, uh, flew the T-38, requested to fly the A-10. That was my number one choice. Ended up sticking around for another three years as a T-38 instructor pilot. So I got about 1,000 hours in uh, the T-38 over the next several years and got to fly all over the country with students and students from many countries, in fact. And then came time again to select which aircraft I wanted to fly. And I selected A-10s again and uh, ended up flying the F-15. 
uh and i flew this distinctly different types of aircraft right there yeah and i didn't fly the strike eagle which would be an air to ground variant which would have been more similar to type of mission flown by an a-10 i mean i say that somewhat loosely but i flew the c model which is a single seat air-to-air superiority fighter uh, which i wouldn't trade for anything in the world but i did that for just a year out in japan i was stationed at kadena air base ended up being medically separated from uh the flying community and i'll just add in here by this time while i hadn't seen anything exciting in my life while i was active duty military from a uap or ufo standpoint i had already in my life uh previous to joining the military had one experience i imagine we might get into that later on um absolutely we're gonna we're gonna ask you that toward the end so okay so um i end up having this option before me about what career field i wanted to pursue after leaving the flying community and um, my next door neighbor happened to be the only space officer on the base at Kadena and I went and asked him how he liked Air Force Space Command which was the MAGCOM or major command that was responsible for all things uh, national security space happens to belong to the at the time to the defense I'm sorry the Department of the Air Force and uh, he just complained up and down left and right about everything that was uh being a space officer i was stuck in colorado for six years i hated it i've been begging to deploy couldn't get deployed and uh, you know my wife's from colorado i like the idea of being stuck in colorado for a military assignment and um, so we decided to go into the space route so that was 2013 when this happened and uh, went into air force space community i was assigned to work in space-based missile warning operations and our nation's two space-based missile warning units are at Buckley Air Force Base in Colorado. We use infrared sensors in geosynchronous orbit. You know, you're talking, we're about 23,000 miles out. Uh, good analogy I like to give people. If you have your standard size globe that, you know, fits in your hand, you put a yardstick on that globe and put a little fleck of dust out in that at the end of that yardstick that's about where our infrared sensors sit out in geosynchronous orbit you can see about a third of the surface of the earth from out there and of course you're seeing the infrared part of the emf spectrum um now i did that job for a few years went and got a couple of master's degrees on the air force's dollar one was in military strategy at the dod's premier strategy school and then came out of that school in 2020 and was a lieutenant colonel and went to command one of those space-based missile warning units at buckley so uh that was kind of my path to uh, to your question michelle leadership in the space force uh, a greatly abbreviated uh version of events but uh that was 2020 to 2021 i end up separating from active duty in uh, 2021 after authoring a book that got me in a little bit of trouble it wasn't about ufos unfortunately uh, yeah, you'd but, probably be in more trouble if it was about UFOs. <laughs> yeah, if I knew anything useful about it, I'd probably be in prison. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was kind of the end of my military career. It was the fall of 2021, and uh, I've been a civilian for a year now, and uh, and uh, joining talk shows like this, or podcasts, and uh, speaking around the country about the things I wrote about my book. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, that's the overarching history of my air force and space force career. Awesome. So there seems to be some kind of confusion 
about the mission of Space Force out there, or at right. least out here in the civilian world. And it kind of gets made a joke of, um, you know, there was the Netflix movie about it, and they got the guy from the office to play the dippy commander mm-hmm. and all of that. And I think it does have something to do with the political climate and who signed off on creating mm-hmm. Space Force and everything else. Um, because, well, everything is a political football in this world anymore. But can you give us a good breakdown of the history of the Space Force and what is its mission truly today? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. I, I meet meet people all the time, even today, who when they hear there's a Space Force, were shocked. Or I ask them if they're aware that there was a new branch of the military that's space related. They look at me like they're a deer caught in the headlights. Uh, so that's just a function of people not really paying attention to what's going on, on around them in the world. And they pay attention to whatever their social media feed happens to be telling them any day of the week. Um, now I'm going to, don't take offense, but I'm going to correct one thing you said for clarity. Uh, who The guy who happened to sign off on the Space Force doesn't exist. And I'll, I'll clarify what I mean by that. Uh, a president... In this case, it was President Trump and the Trump administration does not have legal authority or the power, even as the the chief executive, to create an independent branch of the military. Now, I'll tell you, Trump had a certain oomph to his determination to ensure the creation of an independent branch of the military for space. And he had, as a vice president, a space nerd and space junkie and Mike Pence, who loved and was a champion of scientific exploration in space, a champion of NASA, and so forth. Uh, they, re- they they stood up a National Space Council in Washington, D.C. that is doing important work. And so Trump kind of surprised uh, when he made this announcement. He surprised the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who was General Joe Dunford at the time, the secretary of the Air Force, the civilian leader of the Air Force, who was Heather Wilson, And he said, hey, I heard Space Force. And I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Now, the unfortunate. (laughs) um, So so he surprised them and there was some pushback to be sure. But this was not a conversation that was new during the Trump administration. In fact, there are two congressmen that deserve credit. Uh, It was a bipartisan effort even before the Trump administration. There is a Democrat. congressman in tennessee named jim cooper and a republican congressman in alabama named mike rogers who were friends working together for the creation of a space corps uh, before the trump administration uh, came in and i'll tell you when trump announced a direction to stand up an independent branch of the military for space they were beside themselves upset at the possibility that he lost the opportunity forever because now it was going to, to your point, be such a partisan issue that it would never pass a vote in the Congress. And in fact, it did. It required a majority vote, bipartisan vote in the Congress to create an independent branch of the military. And so in December of 2019, that vote passed and it was written into law, into U.S. Code Title X, that this would be the newest branch of the military. First time since 1947 that we've created a new branch of the military. That took place just after World War II with the creation of the U.S. Air Force. And so 
to really succinctly share the history of a space force, I will hark back to the creation of the Air Force to say, just like from World War One onward into World War Two, a couple of decades later, you had a U.S. Army that was ex exploring and experimenting with flying aircraft and how to drop bricks out of aircraft and then how to shoot handguns out of aircraft and then how to further weaponize those aircraft uh, to attack the ground or other aircraft in the skies. And by World War II, we had developed our Army Air Corps significantly and other countries had beat us to it. I mean, uh, Britain, uh, Great Britain had uh, created an independent branch of the Air Force. I think it was probably... Geez, I don't know if it was the late 1920s or even earlier. Uh, Germany had a powerful air force. Italy had, uh, you know, and Japan were developing their air forces. And and so the U.S. decides finally uh, in 1947, after the close of the war, that we would create a separate branch of the military because it was so critical to the future development of our national security, we thought, that we're going to have a branch of the military that is independently responsible for that domain, and we will also give it its own budget, its budgetary um, prerogative. And we did the same thing with space. We had an Air Force steward and shepherd space capabilities throughout the Cold War during the space race. But the Air Force, it was deemed, wasn't necessarily the best steward for a budget of space and a culture of space and, a, and the domain of space because it has competition inherent to that organization, namely F-22s, F-35s, and everything else. So every time you needed to pilfer funds from somewhere to feed the F-35, uh, you know that really sleek space capability we're working on? We're going to kick that can down the road five years because we really need $100 million. That was kind of one of the driving motivators for a new branch of the military for space. So, and it wasn't, now, and it wasn't Trump's Space Force, although... He gets he should get some credit for it because he had the drive. It was a bipartisan vote and uh, it is U.S. law. And so there was concern when the new administration took took uh, control. It was like, oh, geez, is the is the Space Force going to go away? You know, that was Trump's thing. And that's the wrong way to look at it. It wasn't a it wasn't a partisan issue and uh, no no partisan effort can undo what's been done by bipartisan vote in the Congress. Okay, that's that's good. And that's some great history out there. That well, people and I can... think it's good for the listeners to hear that, too, because Absolutely. that way, because everything that's put out on, you know, the media and on not only social media, but the news is always very clouded. So it it's is nice it's, to get... it's hard. Yeah, it's nice to get a clearer perspective on it. Yeah, because, you know, people bring their biases into any kind of conversation, especially with politics and everything. And, um, you know, it, it's just unfortunate because people on both sides of the aisle can have good ideas mm -hmm. and, you know, you just have to be able to filter that stuff out. And, you know, I think that's where the human element, we run into problems in Washington, D.C. and our elected leaders that, OK, I'll pass this bill if you give me a little bit of this kind of thing. And then, you know, you get this weird thing going on instead of just thinking about what's good for the defense of the country, what's good for the defense of the people. And, you know, kind of just keeping it simple like that. But as humans, we love to make things very complicated. So with that being said, so what 
then truly is the mission of Space Force? Is it everything outside the atmosphere at this point? Okay, yeah, I didn't answer that part of the question. I guess that was a part of the question. Um, it was, but you gave us a great history lesson, and yeah, that was awesome. Okay, so, you know, there was this funny, I wish I knew the title of the video, um, and I, I don't even know, uh, I can't remember the guy's name who does the, um, he, has a sh he has his own show, Trevor Noah. Someone just sent me a link, and there was an Asian reporter who somehow got granted, um, and he plays up his Asian-ness, and that's why I mentioned it. It was a part of the clip, and he says, I'm not even a citizen, and I've somehow been granted access to go in uh, to the Pentagon to interview the chief of space operations today. This video is just, I think, a week or two old, if I'm not mistaken. He says, I'm going to go and figure out what Space Force really does, because none of us really know. And he, he sits down, it's great footage, uh, with General Jay Raymond, the four-star former Air Force general, now in charge of Space Force. And he says, um, he said, hey, what do you guys really do? And he gets some muddy answers from General Raymond. And he's like, yeah, I still don't know what you do. And it sounds really boring what you're doing. And uh, General Raymond's got this really serious look on his face. Uh, it's a it's a clever video. I wish, you know, maybe I could send you the link afterward. I, but it's a five minute hilarious. It's meant to be comedic. And uh, he kind of summarizes his visit in the Pentagon with General Raymond. And the end is he says, hey, that was really exciting. I still don't know what the hell these guys do, but um, glad I was able to sit down with General Raymond. And that's kind of the perception that the that people have when they hear Space Force and they want to know what's happening. It's real. It's kind of tough for them to feel like they're able to put their finger on the pulse so let me let me give it to you straight okay um you're not you might feel like my answer's no more exciting than um the answers general raymond gave to this reporter okay so at this point it's helpful to further disambiguate two organizations there is a u.s space command and there is a u.s space force and they're very different one of them is the new branch of the military that we've been talking about. That's U.S. Space Force, general, a four-star general, Air Force general, now Space Force general, is the commander of that new branch of the military. The purpose of all of the branches of the military, um, this is maybe more information and education than you even cared for, but I'm going to, it's, it's, it's good to know. Every branch of the military, whether it's Army or Air Force or Space Force and so on and so forth, has as their primary primary legally defined obligation training and equipping their services forces persons people uh to do a certain mission in defense of the nation but it is not those services that wage conflict okay they just train organize train and equip the forces what that amounts to is for example the GPS on your phone and that we provide as a free service to people all over the globe is, is provided by young men and women sitting in a dark room without windows in Colorado Springs. And that was previously under the stewardship or prerogative of the service that we know as the Air Force. But when we stood up the, the branch of the military that we call Space Force, that mission, those people, those capabilities all transferred into a new branch of the military. They're not waging war with those capabilities per se. We simply train personnel 
to do a mission with those capabilities. That's the job of the Space Force. There's a missile warning mission, both from the ground, ground-based radars, and from space, space-based missile warning. We we organize and we train and we equip people to do that mission. Okay, I'm just I'm making this distinction. I'm pedantic. I understand. There is an entirely separate organization that I mentioned, U.S. Space Command, that has the legal purview of waging conflict. And so U.S. Space Command is not led by the same four-star general officer that is in charge of the Space Force. He organized, trains, and equips people. And then in a time of conflict, or if something is deemed a conflict scenario, we, for lack of a, or to simplify things, we send our well-trained persons and capabilities to a combatant commander whose responsibility is waging war. We have them in charge of geographic regions in the planet, like one of them is the Indo-Pacific, or the uh, we call it Indo-PACOM, the Indo-Pacific region. We've got one in CENTCOM, or the Central Command, which is like the Middle Eastern countries. We've got one in Europe, UCOM. All of these combatant commanders have the responsibility of waging war if it comes to war. But the military branches themselves don't do the waging of war. That was a construct that was changed decade, a few decades back. And so what Space Force does at the highest level you can imagine is organize, train, and equip forces for use in war should we ever need to fight a war. And then it's these combatant commanders that wage the war. Now, no one, since no one really cares about what I've just said in the last two minutes, I'll tell you what they really care about. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the things that your Space Force people are doing publicly on a day in and day out basis are things that you thought, if you knew anything about it, your Air Force was already doing, like doing GPS mission, providing that blue dot on Google Maps and giving the GPS signal to users everywhere all over the planet from airline pilots to tank drivers to farmers in their fields it's a free service that's provided of course it primarily we're doing it for national security purposes we are doing ground and space-based uh missile warning mission as i've mentioned we're providing strategic communications from certain architecture of satellites that are uh that are up there as well um and there are so there's of course intelligence gathering this targeting uh weapons targeting missions and all of those things we've been doing for a very long time from what from space uh that the air force used to be responsible for all of that kind of naturally transitioned into the space force and all of the people that were doing those missions transferred into the space force and now just wear a very similar uniform slightly different rank structure slightly different you know titles and so what the Space Force is willing to publicly acknowledge that it's doing is not going to be a surprise probably to most uh, most Americans or, or our adversaries. Now, uh, China and Russia might know even a little bit better, and they set up their own independent cyber and space forces earlier than we did back in 2015. Uh, they would know even better as a government uh, or as governments uh, what our space force is doing than even the American people might. And the United States Space Force leadership and our Defense Department leaders know very well what Russia and China are doing in space far better than is generally known. And of course, what we will do is we will point to what Russia or China are doing in space. Uh, this has been said publicly, so I can now say it. I couldn't have said it a couple of years ago. For example, uh, Russia has uh, a type of satellite that it's put up 
that is kind of like a nesting doll. You've got a satellite that opens up and there's another satellite inside and it opens up. There's another one inside and they, so you can launch one thing on one platform and it can turn into many things that have various functions, functionality. Some of them, as you could imagine, might be used as weapons. And so that's a concern that our senior leaders point to as justification or rationale for some of the capabilities we then put up in space. China has an arm on one of its satellites that can potentially reach out and grab or shake or interfere with other other space capabilities. So uh, while that doesn't sound very futuristic or sci-fi-y, uh, not everything is as benign as we've hoped it was up there. And for a long, long time, there have been efforts to develop things that could be used as weapons in space. And of course, each host nation that develops those capabilities will assert, of course, up and down, that they're just simply trying to defend their own architecture. I'm the good guy. I'm simply defending against the terrible aggressor that lives across the world. And so then politics is a part of the discussion. Right. So those those are ki- the kinds of things that our, our senior military leaders right now are acknowledging that they're working on, problems they're working on solving. And they don't go much further than that. Now, you can use your imagination. Uh, people have watched sci-fi and can start guessing at the kinds of things that um, in reality people have been thinking about for decades about things we might be able to do in space. I mean, heavens, four decades ago, Reagan comes into office and announces a Star Wars program that then is shortly thereafter abandoned because of a number of reasons, but one of which was, well, we just don't have the technological know-how yet to do this. Well, maybe. Right. And so that's kind of abandoned, at least publicly it is. Um, and then he also was famously known for his uh, what if there was an alien attack? How fast would our differences right. change as well? So kind of odd. And a lot of people have, you know, gone mm-hmm. to a certain leaps of, uh, you know, speculation of, OK, so he's talking about a space based weapon platform. And the possibility of maybe aliens might attack. So, and I'm not going to lie. When I first heard about Space Force, <laughs> and I'm I'm an older dude. I think I'm I'm older than you. I remember as a kid watching 007 Moonraker. And in that movie, they fought in outer space, like guys coming out of the space shuttle. Like the space shuttle was a troop carrier. And the space shuttle would open up and these guys in jetpacks and stuff would come out and they would fight this war back and forth. Um, so when I was thinking that, mm-hmm. I actually had people telling me, see, they're finally admitting it. We've been fighting on Mars. We've been doing all this. Now they're finally admitting that there's a space force. And that imagery jumped right in my head back mm-hmm. from like 1980 something when Moonraker yeah. came out. And uh you know, so it's well, just go ahead. Let me let me uh, say something about that. So, not about space shuttle. I'm not going to talk about that. But as you're aware, space shuttle wasn't an air force program per se. I mean, NASA is created at a critical time in American history. It's been over a half century. And um, I, let me think. Let me think through. Don't edit out any of this, by the way. It's good that your viewer or your listener see me struggling to answer this question and it's not because i don't know something about it uh it's if people have 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 studied cold war history for example even a bit um 
they'll see that some of the timing of the creation of certain federal agencies, um, NASA is one of them. So we'll, st- we'll, we'll just stay with that for now. And the establishment of the Air Force and the capabilities that we were working on. Um, the, the timing oftentimes, I'll say, isn't coincidental. And um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a corroboration between the national security or national defense side of uh, the equation on the one hand and, say, the civil or private later sector on the other hand. And, um, and, and so I'm exagger- I'll, I'll exaggerate this next point to say that almost, or now it's not an exaggeration, what people might do with their imagination and trying to tease out what we've been up to. I mean, you, you're probably not that far off, uh, to be honest. Now, you might be. You might be wildly off if you've got a great imagination. But, I mean, the fact is, as far as the human imagination can extend, and it was just as active a half century ago at the beginning of the space race as it is today. Um, and if you read a little bit of the Cold War history and some history about the space age, you'll see that we had fantastic minds thinking about how we might exploit that domain ever since the get-go. And then you have questions about, like Lou Elizondo and others assert that uh, the U.S. is in possession of exotic materials. Well, if things like that are in fact the case, then um, who has it? What have they done with it? And what have they been working on? What programs have been established and, and who knew about them and when? Who lied about it and when? Uh, and for what purpose have we been trying to uh, replicate or reproduce technology? I'm not necessarily asserting, I believe, the same as Lou Elizondo, but there are plenty of experts out there that uh, think they know something about what we've been up to. And it's all very fascinating. And so, yeah, about time we had a Space Force, right? I mean, it's been a long time coming. Um, well, I think so- of it from a from a, a planetary defense mm-hmm. idea not so much aliens and things like that, but getting into my next question, then are you monitoring or is space force monitoring for other things besides just like that? You were a, a missile defense uh, commander at a base. You know, are you guys looking for like large meteorites or possible asteroids that might impact and, and get into the cataclysmic type of or catastrophism type of idea? Okay, I'm going to answer that question right after. I'm going to say two more things. First, I, I don't just because I don't know if we'll come back to this. Uh, you know, the moon for you mentioned Mars, the moon. I want to say China has been active on the moon for a little while, um, and I don't mean with people that they dropped off on a space shuttle, but they've been they've been planting things in orbit at Earth Moon Lagrange points, um, relay satellite at EML two so that they can see the far side of the moon, what they're doing on the far side of the moon. But, you know, the U.S. has lacked the capability to uh, see some of what they've been doing. And so in some ways, we've fallen behind the power curve, and which is one of the, in a classified setting, I suppose, in testimony to the Congress uh, that kind of provided some impetus for some of them to get on board and have bipartisan support. It's like, wow, to say nothing of what exists out there, either from an extraterrestrial intelligent perspective or otherwise, from a rock perspective, near-Earth asteroids and, and objects and so forth, there was very real geopolitical concerns that extended out into cislunar space and even on the far side of the moon down near the, the south lunar pole that China was doing that, um, that people began to take very seriously. I just wanted to get that in there. Hey, everyone. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. 
We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors and some friends of the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, my name is Burton, and I am the host of Follow the Reaper podcast where every episode we examine first and secondhand true paranormal encounters. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jared Murphy of NotAliens.com, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hey there, it's Richard Serrett, occasional weekend guest host of Coast to Coast AM and host of The Conspiracy Show. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle's Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Burton. And Aaron from Lost in the Dark podcast. And raise your horns because you're listening to Wayne and Michelle from the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Gemma Jade, from Gemma Jade YouTube, Moonbear Oracle, Paranormal Chop Shop. You're here listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, this is Chris Lato of the Chris Lato YouTube channel, retired F-16 pilot turned UAP investigator, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, this is Terry Lane Keel, director of MUFON memberships, investigator, demonologist, and author of Alien Healing, the true story of a benevolent extraterrestrial. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hello everyone, this is Michael Schrett, military aerospace historian and private pilot, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, and we're glad to have you with us today. Hi, this is Seth Talk from MUFON. 
and the author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens and the host of Alien Spirit TV with Sev on YouTube. You're listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? This is Big Willie with the UFO Garage podcast, where we're all about UFOs, aliens, and all things weird. I also run a podcast, Band of Bearded Brothers, with my brother Micah, B-O-B-B for short, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. So take a seat and buckle up as they educate us on all things woo. Hi, this is Alex Anovitsky, and you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What I'd like to show you guys is the infinite pool of experience and awareness which can be found at luciuslabs.com. And it's a book that I've written after basically meditating for 27 years. Basically, it goes over modern physics. It takes you all the way from modern accepted physics to understanding that we live in a layering of conscious types within time and that our consciousness is eternal. Now, um, as far as what we look at, um, people should appreciate that just as in the land domain, we've got every type of sensor available. You've got an optical sensor. It's like you, it works like your eyes, the camera that we're using now. You've got um, infrared sensor that might be able to detect a heat signature. You've got other sensors that uh, might, might be uh, an audio only kind of a, a frequency. Uh, for example, you've got x ray part of the. Um, electromagnetic spectrum and so you've got sensors basically that fall any number of places on the electromagnetic spectrum and so as you can imagine uh you can both amplify your optical sensor like a binocular or a telescope or you know, hubble and look into deep space using something like a hubble or a james webb, tele webb telescope think if you had something that was powerful even optically that you could turn around and point towards the earth i mean we put things like that on sr-71s uh, U-2 spy planes uh, that even as er early on in the Cold War during the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s, we're looking down from very high altitudes with very powerful cameras and we're, we're seeing what's happening on the ground. And we've got far better capabilities up in space today. And so think we've got a number of ty different types of sensors. We've got ways to potentially, and this is all public, I'm not saying anything that's uh, that you know you've we've got different ways to fuse i'll use i'll say it that way different types of sensors together to create pictures yeah i'll say you've got a, fa a false sense of privacy in the 21st century uh even if you think you're behind walls that have no windows you, you people can make a picture and find where you're sitting right and so imagine that we've got those things and now we've got different layers of architecture in our space enterprise from low Earth orbit, starting roughly 100 kilometers up on out to middle medium Earth orbit, out to geo, which we talked about earlier, geosynchronous orbits out at, you know, past 22 and 23,000 miles. And they've got highly elliptical orbits that go over the poles. And you're able to somehow synthesize potentially a picture of what you can see from 22,000 miles out and in. And that's only if the sensors are pointed towards the Earth. Okay, I want to make that point. So if all you've got is sensors pointed towards the earth, 
you'll at least be able to see what is potentially threatening to the Earth environment from about 20 and 30,000 miles out and on down. But that doesn't really help you if you got fast moving objects like near Earth asteroids. And th- I mean, the moon's 240,000 miles out nominally. And so you I- ideally want to be able to see at least that far out. And so if it's possible, I'm, you know, I'm being careful how I choose my language, but if it was possible to turn an asset around and point outward, then I, th- then in theory, you could see what exists outside of those orbits. And in some cases with great fidelity, but the pro- the harder problem is how do you, even if you detect something that is an imminent threat and it's on a collision course with the earth, how is it that you then, um, deflect or break up or um, stop that from impacting the earth and uh, that's that's a harder problem for for nations to solve internationally because if you if you devise a platform to do that kind of damage uh well geez that's a threatening weapon yeah then and we don't trust you right yeah. and then you can turn it around toward the earth at that point. right yeah and do you, you do you do it from earth do you do it from somewhere in space do you launch things from the moon and, and so all of that's been explored being explored and the question is can you be public with it and are nations willing to work together on those kinds of capabilities the answer is no yeah. um and and so then you have a really big problem uh and it's who can develop them the fastest and where do they place them and how secret can they keep them for how long right yeah that's that's a that's a difficult challenge uh, yeah. ideally everyone loved each other in this world and uh, political territorial integrity and political sovereignty didn't matter as much as it did to these countries and they said hey let's try and keep our planet safe and let's devise something that's phenomenal together we'll pool our resources and and we'll protect this little bubble yeah that we live in right well i don't know are you familiar with chris lato he was a f-16 fighter pilot turned uf or uap investigator now and he's set up the uap society no? uh, you know that name is familiar but i don't know who that is okay well, we had him on the show and we were talking to him for a little bit. And, you know, what you explained with the different layering of the sensors, it was kind of what we were talking about. And this kind of leads into my next question when it comes to looking at the Navy videos of the Tic Tac and the Go yep. Fast and the Gimbal. And we were talking about listening to the pilots and they were talking about their SA page, their situational awareness. And we were talking about how you have different, you know, E2 Hawkeyes and different radars from different ships providing different angles to give you, give a pilot one person, this overall 360 degree situational awareness, which, you know, um, sounds exactly like that, but now we need to extrapolate that out into space so we can look at that different layers so that that makes sense if i got any of that wrong let me know am i close you know one of the one of the hardest challenges that are um i don't know if i should put it that way let me say a big challenge that our space community faces is is the development of space well it's um space situational awareness i'll call it you know there's there's an air domain situational awareness and a, and a picture a space domain awareness is is one of the challenges they face and how is it that you build the appropriate picture and then you know i was just asked i shouldn't even say this on the air but i was just asked last week if, if i would consider going um and, and teaching at a certain school of the that the uh, space force has uh teaching space battle manage, management 
um, and space domain awareness. Uh, and I'm not going to do that. But um, th these are big challenges that our new Space Force operators are trying to work on. Senior leaders are concerned about figuring out. And so, yeah, I, I think um, the American people, of course, assume rightly and uh, should assume that uh, there's things the Space Force is doing that they're not going to hear about. And um, some of those things we've even been public to say uh, hey, there's a new unit or there are several new units that have been stood up. Their mission's really classified and so you're not going to learn about it, but trust us, they're doing good things for the nation. They're trying to work on combating the threats that now that are that are beginning to emerge in space. Well, uh, again, the, I mean, you could guess a hundred different directions what they're really doing and you'll probably be somewhat right and somewhat wrong, but maybe it'll be five or 10 years before the American people really get to hear what some of those units are actually working on. Uh, but there's a lot there's a lot in development and then there's other agencies that feed capabilities to our uh new space force i mean darpa is working on things and there's other three-letter agencies that um, are very well integrated with our new uh branch of the military because they too have eyeballs up there in that domain that are building a picture and there's no yeah. way space force can do its mission right unless they collaborate with just about every other intelligence community uh, entity that exists out there that that has some capability up there okay well going back to the talking about the go fast gimbal and tic tac that got everybody excited back in 2017 when these things were either leaked or released depending on what side of the aisle you want to fall on it's a psyop or it's actually real you know it's individually based anymore. But Kevin Day, who was one of the chief radar operators, claimed that they would see these things dropping down from 80,000 feet in a matter of a couple seconds, then stop a few feet, maybe 50 feet or so above the ocean, and then either like move off or they would submerge and then pop back up again. Very strange objects. Do you know of any strange or similar objects that may have been detected by Space Force monitoring equipment? that may confirm what the Navy and Kevin Day was reporting? I don't personally. Uh, but uh, one thing I can say about it is that my suspicion is that if the Navy or the Air Force is able to use any of their sensors to see this kind of phenomenon, then, again, my suspicion is that uh, our new branch of the military, the Space Force, is likely also able to see and then in the appropriate classified settings corroborate uh, what it is that these other um, services are are seeing with their sensors. Now, not all sensors are created equal. And um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's really all I know about it. Um, and that's not the right way of saying it. Let me say it this way. That that's my suspicion about um, whether or not, you know, our space community is is seeing that kind of thing or our intelligence community. And I, I can't even really talk to any of that. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I would assume that that space force would, would know something about that going on, but again, you know what mm -hmm. they say about assumptions, yeah, that's um, right. but, <laughs> uh, but based on, on what we were just talking about back in June of 2021, and I believe you were still in Space Force at the time. I was. There was the ODNI UAP report of right. the 25th of June. And 
were you guys briefed at all about this coming out or what they were putting together? I mean, here in the public, we got nine pages. If you take away the cover sheets and things, we got six pages and, you know, everybody, well, depending on, again, what side you're on. Oh, you got disclosure. This is disclosure, yada, yada. UFOs are real. Well, they don't necessarily say that, but um, were you guys briefed on that? And what's your thoughts on that? Um, so yeah, my, under, my recollection is that that ODNI unclassified report indicated that there were, there were over 140 independent reports or like 143 and then a hundred and, and then one of them or something like that was, was, uh, figured out to be, you know, a weather balloon or something like that. But there sure. was quite a bit like 141 that they could not explain. Uh, and that I, I want to say over a dozen of them, or maybe 20 of them, up to 20 of them had exhibited some unusual, abnormal flight characteristics. Yeah. Um, so the, the answer to your question is no, I was not briefed on it. Um, and, and just to paint a picture in your mind, think of a pyramid and sitting atop the pyramid are a few people with access to all of the information that's available to the space community. And I'm saying like a very few people. Okay. And then everything below that top part of the pyramid. I mean, it's known in ancient Egypt as the, the Ben Ben stone. Think there's right. a Ben Ben stone atop <laughs> the pyramid and there's a few people sitting up there. They have access to it. Uh, and everyone else beneath the Ben Ben stone in that pyramid structure, which was me and everyone else, including all the one and two stars and the three stars were, um, simply reading about it as, as news reports came out about the unclassified report and we're learning about it and maybe paying attention to it and maybe not uh, just like you were, or the American people were now greater percentage of our space force, of course, would have taken interest in that report than say the typical American, but there were no special briefings. Uh, if it wasn't pertinent to your missile warning mission or your GPS mission or whatever you did, you just weren't, there's too much stuff going on on a day-to-day basis and whatever your specialty is uh, to have briefings on that. And we were too busy talking about uh, systemic racism and other things. So yeah, uh, no, no time to discuss UFOs. <laughs> which is, which is a really bizarre thing to occupy the military with, but that's yeah, going off on a different political tangent that, you know, when people, if, if people are interested in reading your book and seeing some of your videos on it, it a more power to you, but we're going to try to keep this focus to, um, Hey, oh, hey that know, was are, just reality. Yeah. That, it, well, that's just reality. I mean, whether, whether someone's, whatever their political views, yes. Military is distracted with bad priorities. A lot of the time in the last couple of years. Yeah. It really does seem to be that yeah. way. Racial group politics and all that stuff. And, uh, it's infiltrating the, the military, but like I said, we won't, we won't get into that too much. What, what would be great is if instead of any number of diversions that senior military leaders are pitilated by and are interested in spending their time with, they said, you know, what's critical. Let's take this ODNI report, even the unclassified version. All of our, we're going to mandate that's reading by this Friday. We want every space force member to read that report. So now you can all 
you've read it. Maybe you have a half an hour chat about it. Go get some pizza together if you got some free time and let's talk about it. And you should be thinking about this stuff. I mean, but guess what? I bet you 90% of Space Force personnel, and I'm not exaggerating, have never heard of that report. Yeah, that's you know, unfortunate. 10% of them naturally have an interest in it. And so they go look into it. Right. All right. Well, um, a little bit more of kind of a cynical question for you. Okay. <laughs> it seems that the Navy, yeah, if there hasn't been enough already, but it seems like the Navy's the one that's been tapped on the shoulder to deal with this UFO UAP phenomenon and the Air Force, which used to run programs like Project Blue Book, Project Sign, Project Grudge. They don't have the best uh, track record when it comes to these things, when it is, you know, something to do with UFOs, UAPs. And they seem very silent and almost non-existent in this new interest in this phenomenon. So would you care to speculate or do you maybe know a little bit of the background information as to why the Air Force seems to be not allowed to sit at the cool kids table when it comes to this? Well, I'll, <clears throat> that's tempting bait, but I'm going to answer it a little bit differently. <laughs> it wasn't meant to yeah. be, but, you know, speculation is good. And I do want to get your views well, on ufos and uaps yeah uap there's uap task force and there have been any number of as you mentioned projects established for the purpose of investigating these phenomena and in some cases they've been well funded in other cases maybe less so but you see my my sense of how things typically work in our military um for better and for worse is that whatever your flavor ice cream is that you happen to be licking in your neck of the woods you you, you just like i'm not kidding again that the pyramid is such a useful analogy it's like everyone's working on that piece except for a few people who have been who have been plucked off out of their community to work on those task forces or those groups and then when they're given access and this is the key part okay. to work on some of those things they're not going to talk about it with anyone so it's like the ultimate in compartmentalization. Well, think about it. I mean, if, if there's something here worth exploring, if there's something actually either critical to our national security because there are adversaries who are developing these wicked good capabilities, uh, let's say, or they have an extraterrestrial origin and someone happens to know that too, and, and there's a past there that... I mean, think Area 51. I mean, who knows what's going on there? No one, unless they've worked there. And even if they work there, uh, they only know their slice of the pie. That's it. They don't know what other, what, they don't know what that's the right, right hand's doing if they're the left hand and vice versa. So that's how, to your point, that's how super compartmentalization works. It's like, if you're to protect some overarching picture, no one's got all the pieces to put together and that's why everyone starts talking past each other even if they do have access to information i mean when truman comes into office in world war ii he didn't even know there was a manhattan project that we'd been working on to develop the nuclear weapon and he's read into it after the fact um and i mean like i think i've got that right it might i might i'm pretty sure i've got the right guy he's the one that ends up using the weapon yeah but the point is like there are things going on every day of the week that certain people know about that no one in this country or world will ever hear about. And many of those people will take those things to the grave and someone else is working on some critical component. That's going to be fitted together with that other piece. And they don't know that they're working on something that's going to fit together with the other piece. 
this is when, when so if there's something truly phenomenal and critical going on there people work on various pieces and, and usually don't know the whole picture but there are some people and there are some few that do know a bigger picture uh they're hard to come by and uh, i'm not one of those guys by the way i you know and here's the other fun thing some people who spend their lives speculating about this stuff can also come pretty close to getting probably a really good overarching picture. They're not going to know all the ins and outs and the details, but they might get a surprising amount right. But will will they ever be able to confirm that? Maybe not. Uh, but you know, some of these voices are worth listening to. They've got important pieces to a picture, and I suppose it's up to every one of us to, to try and piece this together. But yeah, most people running around in uniform in this country, even if they've got a top secret clearance, okay? Unless they have a need to know something, they just don't know it. And that's that's just the way it is. And yeah. they're going to, hey, I'm a cook. I, I That's a bad example. Um, I'm an F-16 pilot or an A-10 pilot, and I've got a top secret clearance. And I don't know what on earth is going on in the Navy. And I don't know what on earth is going on in the Space Force. And, you know, same is true in reverse. Yeah. That's yeah, a cynical it- answer. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's understandable. It's understandable, it's and and you know we are humans as well, and and we're flawed. And you know, if you're working on some type of top secret project or have some type of some information that shouldn't get out, you know, they they worry about people becoming, you know, compromised and things like that. Oh, so yeah. if if they only lose like 05 percent to the counterintelligence guys out there from China or whatever, then, you know, Hey, it's only 0.5% and we know where the leak is and all that stuff. So, you know, it makes sense if you seriously think about it. Um, one other quick question, and then we're going to start wrapping it up. Yeah. I was getting ready to swoop in here on behalf That's of your good. wife and family. Cause yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. He's going to start sending him text messages. That's all right. It's all good. Let's yeah. Whatever you got on the table, let's what we can do like a lightning round and get through as much of this as possible. I'll try to be less verbose. Okay. Well, the, the last thing is, and we kind of chatted before we started recording the podcast was about Randall Carlson and you had him on your podcast and he's one of my favorite people, me being a earth scientist and earth and space scientist and a teacher, um, and Michelle is a, a mythology teacher of middle schoolers mm. and ELA. And so, you know, he brings in some of those ancient histories and things and you talk to him and now you seem to show, and, and I don't honestly know a lot about your background, just what I've mm-hmm. seen on your YouTube channel and things like that and politically and what's mm-hmm. been going on in the, in the country, but you seem to be starting to show some interest in catastrophism. Um, you had Randall Carlson on. So, you know, and for people out there that don't know what we're talking about, a good example of this would be like the asteroid that impacted in the Yucatan Peninsula 65 so million years ago that ended basically the dinosaurs. Or you could even think more like the biblical flood that, you know, it has some kind of story, not just in the Bible, but in over 150 other mythologies, they talk about some kind of a, a great flood. And then I saw and watched just the other day, you had Ben Davison on from mm-hmm. Space Weather News, which that was a fantastic discussion. You know, we don't okay. pay enough attention to our son, you know, kind of a thing. And I think there's right. something locked in there with all of this stuff. And you were talking about right. reading Hamlet's Mill mm-hmm. and all of this, you know, this interest. So what has sparked your interest in that topic? Uh, so I, 
it's not a recent spark. I've studied it for about two decades. Uh, now, what I'm trying to do on my show is get these guests on who have either been influential for me uh, or something like that to um, at least engage or ignite that spark of interest in others. Okay, so I, but I've, uh, my, uh, this is a per very personal note, I suppose, but my own religious or spiritual journey has driven me to want to take interest in those things. And as I try and make sense of a, of scripture, for example, and I don't just mean Judeo-Christian scripture, although predominantly that's what I've studied. Um, I, I, I like the, um, Randall Carlson's of the world and the Ben Davidson's of the world, because they actually provide some bit of a scientific underpinning for the idea of a religious catastrophist worldview. And, uh, but, I, but I'm not, I, I'm not saying also that I'm a literalist in any sense of the, uh, I'm not saying I'm an extreme literalist when it comes to like a reading of the Bible. So while I think catastrophe is evident there, I also don't think the earth was created in six days, and I think it's extremely old, and I think it's occasionally absolutely devastating. By occasionally, I speak in geological terms. It is occasionally just utterly devastated by uh, visitors from out there. And whether those visitors are rocks or uh, matter and um, energy from our sun or even um, angels or gods that come, we call you call them aliens, you call them whatever, but um, you know, we've, we've got evidence both in the sciences we've got evidence in ancient mythology and we've got evidence in judeo-christian literature that says that we're occasionally visited here with catastrophe and uh, so i very much believe that and so for me it's just trying to piece together a, an accurate picture dismissing that which is not useful accumulating that which is useful and i think randall carlson and ben davidson do a great job providing useful information in that regard yeah, and to ignore ignore those catastrophes that that almost make the the different religions and myths of the world seem like almost I look at them as more like a history book. It's probably like a right. telling of history and the different numerologies that are embedded in there and mm -hmm. cosmology and all of that stuff. Um yeah, so it, it's very fascinating stuff. And, uh, I really like seeing your videos that you've put out and oh, the thanks. guests you've had on so far. So yeah, that's really cool. And I know Michelle wants to jump in here so we can wrap yeah. this up. Yeah. I just have a question for you. Um, if you have personally ever experienced seeing anything unknown <laughs> when you were flying, I heard that giggle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, not while I was okay. I have seen things while I've been flying. I wouldn't characterize the things I've seen flying as, geez, there's so many things you see flying. I mean, I could, I could file a report and make it one of the UAP reports, but nothing convinced me while I was flying in uniform for the military uh, that I had seen a UFO or a UAP or something of an extraterrestrial origin or something that demonstrates like a transmedium travel capability or anti-gravity propulsion system or uh, hypersonic velocities, none, none of that while I was in uniform, but I have had a couple of experiences outside of uniform, um, in, incidentally that, um, convinced me there's more there to see and understand than, uh, than our military is currently overtly focused on anyway. 
Do you think there's a like a spiritual tie? You brought up your religion in mm-hmm. it a little bit, and I've talked to other people, and it seems like that there's a there may be some type of a correlation between what we're seeing and the the experiences we're having, and people that are invested in the esoteric or more of the occult type of things. And I'm just curious: is that mm, something maybe. you might speculate on? Well, um, I guess I could reframe it. I. Are, let me ask for clarification. Are you saying that those who see or experience those things are somehow seeing or experiencing them because of their own inclination towards the esoteric or no? Is that no, not what I'm thinking more of there are these disembodied spiritual beings right. okay. on the planet that have a way of manipulating us in like the mindset of the trickster type of archetype mm-hmm. or able to read what we're thinking our energies and then present themselves to us in that way. It, it's, it's a out there theory, but no, I can talk to it. Okay. All right. Now this is the kind of thing I'll say. Now I'm occasionally on Fox news or Newsmax or, you know, people still ask me to speak around the country. So the more of this, I say the less likely they are to keep inviting me back. And so <laughs> maybe it's good that I say this publicly and I right. can if you don't schedule. want to do any more of those, right. <laughs> Here, let me let me say this. So I'm again I'm going to separate a couple of things that you said. Um as far as the spiritual or religious aspect, the idea of disembodied or spiritual entities on the earth, I will say that's a reality and that that's something I'm certain of. Um, from personal experience. Uh, I'd say even without the personal experience, I believe in it just based on reading scripture. Uh, and that's true of every religious tradition. It's true in ancient mythological world. It's true philosophically. And I mean, but it's, it's now we live in a very materialistic world, a secular world that wants to dismiss the idea of spiritual uh, energies, realities, beings, and et cetera. But uh, yeah, this earth is filled with spiritual realities and, uh, and and beings that are unseen. So I know that. Now, whether or not those beings or spirits or entities have something to do with some of the phenomena that are currently observed by our military and the craft that people are seeing or manifestations of one guest I recently interviewed had the theory that those beings and entities were somehow or some cosmic consciousness were somehow manifested in Bigfoot sightings and fairies and dwarfs and all these. I don't know about any of that. You know, I, I don't subscribe to that personally. I, I'll tell you now, though, having said what I did, what I think at the moment in, uh, see, what's the date? September 18th, 2022, uh, for the record, uh, about these craft, for example. Now, I've seen a couple of things. I've seen one craft that I cannot explain. I've never seen anything before or since quite like it. It was much larger than anything I would have expected to see uh, flying. It was middle of the night outside in the mountains, the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, about two hours south and west of Colorado Springs. I'm not sure what it was, Um, and it was moving very slowly, but it made noise, and it very well could have been uh, some kind of military aircraft. I thought I knew all of the military aircraft in the inventory, and I just can't explain it. And I was with two other people who saw it, and um, we had no clue what it was. I've also seen a ball of energy or light that uh, could not have been man-made in my personal opinion. And it wasn't a fleeting experience. It lasted for, I'm guessing, you know, memories of the darndest thing. It was a 
over 20 years ago. It was probably a couple minute experience. And it zipped down and came close to me and took notice of me and I took notice of it. I was with one other person there as well. And uh, if if it was close enough, my guess is I could have put my hand into it. Uh, so then people think, well, is it ball lightning? Is it? No, it wasn't. It was very specific. It was very contained. It was energetic. It seemed conscious. And it took notice of us. We took notice of it. It zipped down. Uh, it was orange like a giant ball of light and energy or intelligence. And then it zipped away very quickly and was gone. And it, boy, I was terrified. And so was the girl that I was with in the mountains of Tucson, Arizona. Uh, this was before I was married, in case my wife listens to this someday. And, um, <laughs> you know, I can't explain that. That was before I even joined the military. So do I think those things have something to do with the spiritual beings or entities and realities all about us? Not necessarily. Um, both of those experiences I had were very different from one another. Um, and some of the footage I've seen and some of the documentaries I've watched about UFOs and UAPs, I, I hope this doesn't disappoint anyone, but it just might. It's good to hear other people's opinions too. I think might very well be government capabilities but not everything they're seeing. I just don't think everything that we see mankind has made. So how about that for a fuzzy summary of my view? I, I think that much of what we see, including, let me let me re say a few things, the appearance of instantaneous acceleration, certainly hypersonic velocities, that's demonstrated by the United States, Ch China, and Russia, even with larger craft, let alone small things. Um, transmedium travel, uh, those kinds of things governments are potentially very capable of, certainly hypersonic velocities, low observability. Yeah, that's something that governments are capable of reproducing. I mean, uh, I could tell you having operated sensors in my life that very large things can appear very small on and sensors and have a, a low observable footprint. And then anti-gravity, that kind of, you know, that kind of propulsion and instantaneous acceleration, those are much harder problems to solve. And uh, depending on the shape or appearance of uh, some of these craft, that's a hard thing to say a government is producing those things. Um, so how do I explain them? I can't. I can't explain them. And I'm just as curious as the next observer, the next suspicious observer might be, but I'm watching as well. And I'm trying to learn. Uh, but beyond those things, I'm far more interested in, in solving some of the ancient riddles that maybe your your wife is interested in looking at. I look at what Plato's writing and the Timaeus and the Critias, and I, I look at that uh, stuff. Atlantis. I think, yeah, I think, you know, there's something to that. That's far more, that's a better history than it is a mythology, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I'm with you guys on that. All right. Well, to close things out so we can get you off to dinner. Um, do you have any ties to Michigan? It's kind of our signature question. Yeah, now I do. Hey, <laughs> now I do. Um, let's see. Uh, I subscribe to the Imprimus Hillsdale College, I think somewhere down in Southern Michigan. Oh, other, Hillsdale. other than that, Hillsdale. Yeah. But other than that, I don't have any ties to Michigan. You know, Hillsdale was was in 1966. A famous UFO flap went on here. Really? For two weeks. And Heineck came out because of Gerald Ford was really mad that the Air Force wasn't investigating the UFOs mm. that people were recording or, you know, reporting and seeing flying 
and landing in the, the area and police officers were chasing them and everything. And then Hynek came in and said it was just swamp gas. So if you get a yeah. chance to check out the book, okay. Ray Samansky, he wrote Szymanski. the book. Yeah. He wrote the book swamp gas, my ass. Okay. And he interviewed That's pretty clever. Yeah. But he interviewed one of the um, pilots that were dispatched to intercept some of these things that they were detecting on radar from Selfridge Air National Guard Base. And he's got the statements, the reports. He's got mm. the guy's former uh, helmet. I think cool. they were they were flying uh, F-4s at the time, maybe. It might have been before the F-4, the Phantom. I don't remember mm. what their, their, maybe the F-86. I don't know. It was... You know, one of the older models and mm-hmm. uh yeah if you want a good account of that you should uh, cool. check out his book but yeah hillsdale it's funny that you subscribe to yeah. their newsletter because that was a famous famous uh thing that got shut down in 66 and that kind of started the whole culture around here in michigan nobody talks about it because they were made fun of so bad oh, we don't right. talk about those things Amazing, amazing how long that can shape a culture or a, absolutely a climate of fear. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And Michelle and I, after we saw that huge, we saw a huge flying triangle. It was 300 feet on a side hovering over the road with three glowing lights that were embedded in the underside of it. It just sat there and then it rotated in place. No sound, no nothing. It wasn't casting off any light. Though our eyes were detecting the 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 light coming from the orb, they were not. It was so low; it should have been shining how bright those lights were onto the ground, and they were not shining on the ground at all. I thought it was a crashing hmm. aircraft yeah. from Detroit Metro Airport. I thought they were landing lights at first. You know, I was a private pilot, and you know, mm-hmm. my dad's a retired United pilot. I've been around all kinds of aircraft. I was in the army. I jumped out of C-130s. I was a grunt, you know, and I had never seen anything like that. And then it rotated and moved parallel to our vehicle. And then it just disappeared. Mm. Yeah. It was massive. Never Mm -hmm. seen anything like that. And then we started the podcast. Well, we started our Facebook group. We started getting all these reports to us about people seeing things here in Michigan. Then we started the podcast and lo and behold, we find out there is a huge history here of UFOs in Michigan and things going on here. So, um, well, with that, where can uh, people find you on the web and where can they purchase your book if they're interested? Sure. Uh, my book is called Irresistible Revolution. It, uh, I don't think I talk about UFOs in there or any of this kind of stuff. Um, no, it's a totally different type of book. If, uh, you know, if people are interested in, um, you know, the first part of the book's history of the United States, I try and paint a lovely picture of that. I get into Marxist ideology, which shouldn't be politically partisan. And then I talk a little bit about what's happening in our military. And um, uh, it was a bestseller last year. Um, it's getting in the hands of a lot of people, but they can find that on Amazon for exceptionally cheap at the moment, a hardback even. Or people can go to my website, MatthewLohmeyer.com and um and, and find me there and uh, i've got as you mentioned uh, a new show it's several months old but um the matt lohmeyer show on youtube and so if you type in matt lohmeyer but a bunch will show up and probably my channel will show up there as well and i've got some good guests on the way and uh, uh in the queue and um 
So should be some good information there. And my interests, as you could tell, are quite broad. And so uh, I'll be interviewing all sorts of guests there in the future. So if you don't like one episode, come back for another one in the future. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. You're, you're, I'm really excited to see you uh, looking into and, and taking this journey about the ancient civilizations and things on your, on your uh, podcast on YouTube. It's really cool to watch and I get to learn from it as well. And you oh, got good. Randall Carlson on. So he's coming back too. He's, he, awesome. he even reached out to me, said, Hey, when are we doing another show? I said, Oh, wow. Well, let's, let's do it. So, and then <laughs> hopefully don't Graham bring up Hancock UFOs. Surely. Yeah, no UFOs. We'll talk more. He won't more. talk about UFOs yet. <laughs> well, he won't publicly. Right. Well, you okay. Know. We we'll, we'll we'll take the hint there. Privately, he might, but you know, he might. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. hopefully, Graham Hancock will be uh, coming on to talk uh, ancient America and uh, some other, you know, not related to this kind of stuff. Guests, uh, yeah, Am- Ammon Bundy, who had a standoff with the feds in Nevada and Oregon, he's running for governor of Idaho right now, and my interview with him comes out tomorrow. And oh wow, um, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, a capital uh, asset manager who's always on the news and just wrote a new book. So anyway, interesting range of guests. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, awesome. We will uh, be uh, hopefully talking to you again at some point in the future. And this has been great. It's been an honor to have you on our podcast. So I guess at this point, we're just going to say, have a good night. Thanks. You guys too. Right, Michelle. Well, that is uh, one hell of an interview, if you ask me. And I think a lot of the things that were not being said was just as important as the things that were being said. How do you feel about all that? Well, the the fact that we talked about the the foundation of a space force coming out and just kind of backtracking it back into the even the Reagan eras, back during what was it, Star Wars? Yeah, the Star yeah. Wars uh, weapons platform stuff about putting, you know, nuclear weapons on space-launched platforms to basically drop nuclear missiles on the enemy. So we just didn't have the technology then. Well, and like I said to you, had this been anyone else, it, you know, during office at the time, it probably would not have, you know, caused such wreckage in the media or the poking fun at but well let's just be realistic here i don't care what side of the aisle you fall on trump was a target for everything bad i mean everybody could not stand trump and he's got his downfalls and everything else i get it i'm always that guy that's like right in the middle but i think the big problem the military has had with space force is marketing I don't know if they got any groups together, focus groups to look at different names about a military force that works in space, but I think that's the biggest issue, you know, space force. It's just the name. Well, and it's not like, you know, the general public was privy to a whole lot of information as to what they were actually doing either, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clandestine. Um, I like what he had to say about 
you know, when you have people that are speculating and guessing about what Space Force actually does, you may not be that far off. But then again, you might be, you know, he keeps on going back and forth with that, which I thought was pretty funny. But it's also very telling. So do we have troops in the Space Force that can actually operate in outer space and like do, you know, fighting from one person to the next, you know, like shooting people out <laughs> that are out in space? Maybe, maybe they can protect the satellites. I think that's the big thing, right? Communication satellites, GPS satellites. You have to have a way to protect those assets from people like in China with their anti-satellite things flying around that can grab a satellite. And all you need to do is tap something, you know, lightly in space and change its little, its trajectory by just a little bit. Those things are whipping around so fast that one little movement can change a huge amount of distance on how those things operate and, you know, easily knock stuff out of uh, orbit. So I don't know. I thought that was really interesting when he was talking about China operating on the moon too like what's going on there well the whole interview it's like just wonder what tidbits of information that we're going to learn that nobody else knows about well you know think about what he said with the sensors that they have and things like that he wasn't aware of anything that they might have captured but i mean come on if they're constantly looking at earth from twenty three thousand miles away with high-powered satellites with infrared, all those different spectrums of energy that they can look back on the Earth with. Come on, they've had to see something. So that's just my thoughts. And I know he he can't just come right out and say things, and I wouldn't want him to. But I don't know. He said, use your imagination. You're probably not too far off. Well, I'm using my imagination and speculating and well, and it's like not being of the generation where you think that it's only NASA doing everything, you know, behind behind the curtain. Well, NASA was in response to what was going on over with the Soviet Union in their space program with Sputnik back in the yeah. day. You know, they were the first ones to put a satellite in orbit. I don't know. I found it absolutely fascinating. I thought it was a great interview. I love the fact that if you can put your partisan politics away whatever his views are you know somebody can have some out there views but we have a common interest and can't we just focus and talk about that you know and i'm sure people will be all upset when they just see his name as part of you know being interviewed by us but you know what he's into things like the writings of Randall Carlson or Graham Hancock. Um, he's a very smart dude. He has a very eclectic way of thinking with his uh, interest, which is awesome. And, you know, you don't have to agree with him on the politics, but he's telling the truth from his standpoint and what he saw in the military and his political leanings and his religion. And, you know, that's his right. He can do that. And, you know, this is still America. If imagine what the world would be like if everybody thought exactly the same, it would be absolutely horrible. So that's my two cents on all of that. So, no disagreement there. All right, Michelle, I think we should close it out for the night. The uh, eighth graders kicked my butt all over the place this week. So I'm pretty whipped. How about you? I'm already looking forward to Christmas break. 
Absolutely. Even Thanksgiving break, something that has more than just a couple days, because even the weekends, I and now this is the what the two months or month and a half of all com- competition time. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. And you know we're dealing with children right now that, if you really think about it, with COVID and everything that went on with that, they're about two years behind not only academically which they can they can pretty much make that up but it's the behavior and maturity level which i think is going to be the worst for the kids that were the youngest during the whole shutdown thing. i don't know my my kids are getting better behaviorally yeah i mean as far as with their their reading that is still a struggle for many and their writing um, because they were used to typing everything for two years for any kind of schoolwork because it was all online. For for me, it's just, I don't want to get too much into the parenting or whatever, but a lot of the hands-off parenting that I've got a lot of kids that are raising themselves. Yep. So, and it's yep. like I become more of a mom figure to them sometimes when it comes to structure and routine. Yeah. You bring the structure that, you know, and kids at that age love structure, right? They want to come in to your classroom, know what's going on and, you know, have a safe place to go ahead and learn and, and can expect what's going to happen in the classroom. Now it's not always the case, but at least the kids feel that way. All right. Anyways, Michelle, let's wrap this up. I'm tired and I need to get more work done. So I think with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. All right, folks. Have a great night. All right, everybody. Have a great night. And remember, keep those eyes to that sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO sightings and paranormal encounters. So until next time.